Hey guys, this is PJ and Bonnie. And we're here with another edition of Lit Chat. It's actually now a podcast. That's exciting. And we are once again talking about the books that we read this month. This month was Read What You Want. And so with that, let's get started. Bonnie. I read actually, it's I'm gonna do them as I did read the Rose Code. I'll mention that. Okay. Uh, um I liked it. It was a lot like the silent patient where it was really kind of slow and then it just boom hits you. Very good book. It is long, but stick it out. It's good. Oh, I'm glad you liked it because I always feel like when I, I say something, I don't know why it makes me nervous when you say, I read that book and I'm like, oh, did you like it? Did you not? <laughs> but the uh, two of the books I wanted to talk about, they're both written by Karen Harper. Uh, apparently it's a trilogy that she started and she's written the first two. She has one more in the trilogy that hasn't come out yet. Um, one is called Deep in the Alaskan Woods and the other one is Under the Alaskan Ice. So obviously they take place in Alaska, <laughs> which kind of is, is kind of what drew them to me. I've always just, I always just think of Alaska as this foreign place that is just so interesting to read yeah, about and I would how people agree. I think Alaska is kind of like a last frontier place. Um, and I always think of like wild, the wilderness, moose, and, ice. And even though supposedly they're only an hour or something away from Fairbanks or something, it's like night and day, you know, here, you're either in the wilderness or you're in the middle of a city. So it's the way they describe it. And we had read that one book with the uh, group, um, uh, the, the Great Alone. With Chris, uh, Christian Hanna, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. You know, which was about Alaska. And it was a lot of the same stuff where people have to survive, you know. So the first one, uh, Deep in the Alaskan Ice, it it's kind of... Um, she it's a talk about stalking and abusive relationships is oh. the basis for why um alex moves to alaska it, apparently she had a grandmother or somebody that she'd visited way when she was young mm -hmm. and she had a couple of cousins that she had been estranged from for quite a while and when her boyfriend in chicago she was from chicago he was, he had become abusive and stockish and all this stuff. And she just felt she had, to, he was a fiance, um, but he, she had to get away. Is she, when she finally realized what was going on, she knew she had to run. Yeah. And so she contacted her cousins and believe it or not, they were just, oh my gosh, yes, come, come, you know, we will help you so she secretly leaves chicago heads for alaska she has a self-made business of making lotions and soaps and things like that okay. from natural ingredients okay so she takes that to alaska with her and it turns out that her cousins run a bed and breakfast that was left from their grandmother they have a little shop and so she makes her soaps and stuff in the shop and of course you have the a romantic interest which is the guy that runs a wilderness survival camp 
sounds and about right. So he teaches. He he obviously gets stuck on her. She gets stuck on him, and he but. He teaches her how to survive in the wilderness. I was going to say, how do they meet? Is it because and, he has to teach her how to well, survive? Actually, no. They just sort of meet, but then you know she says, "Oh, that would be a good thing to learn," and so yeah. she, and then you know, with his thing, but she would go out with the groups that he had, and but then her fiance finds her, even though she is like taking herself off the internet and everything, you know, he manages to find her and he shows up and tries to, tries to kidnap her into the Alaskan wilderness. Now he is clueless. Well, At I was going to say that something. is dangerous for her and, and him. And they run into a bear and we'll just leave it at that. Now, do you find out how he um, found her? No. You don't. Apparently, he had friends in different places that helped him track her down. But, okay, because I was um, wondering if someone. It told wasn't him. anybody that. It wasn't any of her family or immediate friends yeah. that told. It was somebody else. But, but yeah, that was. But it was just you know survival, the abusive relationship and running away, but having that family to run to. Well, that's really interesting that she has to survive in both ways. She's surviving from an abusive fiance, and she's also surviving the wilderness of Alaska. So, I mean, that must make for a very interesting character. Do you think she gets empowered as a book Oh, I'm sure she does. Yes, she does. She finds that she has a lot more stamina and a lot more strength than she ever thought she did. You know, she's from Chicago. You know, she never thought she could survive in Alaska, but yeah, she does. I, I, I kind of understand that because coming from a small town, um, when I first thought about moving to go to Austin for college, I was very hesitant because I was like, I'm going from a small town to a big city. And then even then, my decision to come to Houston I was still a bit hesitant because Houston is so big. The traffic enough was enough for me to really doubt myself on whether yeah. I could or couldn't. What I've come to learn living in Houston is, hey, I ha I can do things, you know. I can be independent, you know. I, I needed to give myself more credit. I can actually drive in Houston. <laughs> That's a big one for me. I'm like, oh, wow. Well, I, I got news for you. That was a big one for me. You know, just because of the traffic in Houston. Yes, I still get amazed sometimes. Like, I'll be driving on the freeway, and I'm like, wow, I'm actually driving in Houston traffic. That is a big accomplishment. <laughs> I feel that way almost every time I go down this 10. <laughs> and then the, the second book in her, in her trilogy is called Under the Alaskan Ice, and it's one of her cousins. Her cousins are twins. The one never married. That's the one she hasn't actually written the book about yet. Okay. The other one, Meg, was married. Her husband was a bush pilot. They have a, a very small son. Like, I think he's six, year old, six years old or something. But years ago, before Alex even comes into the scene, her husband was flying and a bad storm ran into a mountain and oh. perished. She and her son are out at the lake. Her son is fascinated with airplanes. And every time she sees one, she cringes, you know. Yeah, I'm not surprised. So you've got this this dilemma going on with how do you raise your son to not be afraid while you are totally afraid. She won't get into an airplane anymore. 
but then she understands that dilemma. I feel like there's either the person who understands the fear but doesn't want to have that fear being compassed into a child or someone else. So they kind of suppress that fear in front of them. Right. Or you've got that other person that is like, no, you will not be into airplanes. You will like this and try to maneuver. Like in her case, you know, she could have either tried to embrace his like love of airplanes and try to suppress her like fear of them because she knows he loves right. the airplanes or she could have easily, you know, been like, no, you're not allowed to like have airplane toys or any of that stuff. So you're saying she is more on the side of trying to suppress her fear. So, so that it doesn't affect him irrationally. That's good. But they're standing on the lake one day and a plane comes in and they watch it crash into the frozen lake. Her son is there with her, obviously. And it's winter time. So the lake is frozen and this plane crashes into the lake. So it sinks. Yeah. And of course, so she runs, they run and they tell somebody about it. And the NTSB guy comes. And of course, you have this immediate connection. Yeah. She wants to have nothing to do with him because he's a pilot. And I'm the son is just like, oh my God, you're a pilot. She ends up having to help him with the investigation of the plane. And one thing leads to another because they find contraband on the plane. Oh, so there's more to it. Yeah, than just there's, a there's more to it than just a crash. You have local higher ups involved and you're wondering how much they knew about it. She actually has to take him to the place where her husband crashed. Wow, that's tough. And that was tough, but she survived again. It's that Alaskan survival instinct. And she has found out again that she is stronger than what she thought she was. And, and you know, it's really great. I have, to, I have to say I'm very sympathetic with that character because I myself am scared of planes. I, I get anxiety over them. I still take them. But no, there are times where, um, you know, the other day my boyfriend was talking about going to Europe and that was a little too much for me because as much as I would love to go to Europe, I don't know about getting on that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I, when you're telling me this, I'm like, oh man, I feel for her. But and I most definitely feel for the fact that she has to get on the plane. And not only does she have to get on the plane, but now to have to go to the site where her husband died, that that's a double whammy. It, it's one of those things of conquering your fears because there's something else bigger that needs to be done. So I'm, I'm waiting to see what they do with the, with the sister, what she does with the sister. I think the series obviously has these strong women. I also, I guess, understand now why these sisters were so willing to take in. Right. Because they themselves are having issues. Yes. And uh, so they can relate. And I wasn't sure I'd enjoy them. It was a new author to me. So, um, but yeah, they were really good. So I have to tell you, so before coming to Atascocita, I worked at Tomball and the adult manager there, um, she actually ended up moving to Alaska. Oh, wow. I get some great stories from her. And some great pictures. She always sends me pictures of moose. Because um, <laughs> we would always joke around that in Alaska, you could actually call in 
and be like, I can't go to work because there's a moose in my front yard because moose are very aggressive. So we were joking around <laughs> about that. And sure enough, like a couple of weeks into her moving there, I get a email message with like a video. No, actually it was an email, but I get a video from her. And yeah, there's this moose just eating right in front of her like front yard. And I'm like, wow, it's happening. <laughs> like it's finally <laughs> happening. So that was hilarious. That is a place that I, I would like to go. Yeah, it's on my bucket list too. So like your character, I need to overcome my fear and go. Life's too short, right? Well, you don't have to fly to go to Alaska. They have great cruise ships, of course. I'm a little iffy about cruise ships these days. But they yeah. also have these, what they call overland trips, where you take a train. Oh. You take a train up through Canada and into Alaska, too. So there's different ways to get to Alaska besides, I mean, you can drive through Canada. You do not have to fly. Well, thank you for bringing down that anxiety. I appreciate that. <laughs> that has just made it easier for me to be like, okay, I'm going to Alaska. And what have you been reading? So this month was a slow month for me. I only got around to reading one book. And quite honestly, it was an audiobook. And I'm very happy that it was an audiobook because I decided to read more into what I, as a history major, would consider a very doozy of a subject, the French Revolution. Okay. So, and I can't say that I know much at all about the French Revolution. Well, so I was intrigued because, um, so the book was The French Revolution by Ian Davidson. Off the bat, I will say that the French Revolution is a very complicated, very complicated. It is not something that is very easy to understand because there's so many people involved. But I've always been interested in the French Revolution because... It was supposed to be modeled after our revolution. However, things just got so bad. Now, when French did the French Revolution take place? Uh, so it happened right after our revolution. Here's what you have to understand. This book encompasses a very hard subject matter in history. For the same reason that I was telling you, there's a bunch of people involved in the French Revolution, and it's not as clear-cut as a U.S. revolution. Like, it's just not. It's great because while I could not take away the little details, like I wouldn't be able to give you all the details, I took away the bigger picture. Okay. And my interest in it was because this was actually after our revolution. And Lafayette, who was a big part of our revolution, was having to deal with his country going through a revolution. And it's just so vastly different because our revolution i was just curious as to why it was such a different revolution if you see our revolution worked well whereas their revolution not so much their revolution is you know it's the same ideas that we our founding fathers used and some of these enlightened thinkers were french so you would think that the enlightened thinkers being French, their revolution would have turned out to be a success, but instead it is um, highlighted by just this reign of terror and people losing their heads through the guillotine. And so that was where my interest was as to why it was so vastly different than our revolution. And could that partly be because our revolution took place 
across an ocean from who we were, quote unquote, fighting against. Our enemy, the English crown, had to travel miles and miles and miles to fight us. We were fighting on our territory, basically. Most Where, definitely. Whereas in France, it's a lot smaller area. Mm-hmm. But all the people were right there together. And yes. think of how much easier it was to be a double agent just a spy just listening in on stuff that was going on with the other group i would agree with you because also what came out of this is once louis the 16th and maria antoinette are um imprisoned the rest of the european kings and queens not all of them but they threaten to go into war with france and so part of the revolution is not only do you see that France is the revolution is between the rich and the poor, it's also the French being attacked by other monarchies because, of course, this is a scary thought to other monarchies. If this can happen to a country that's so close to us, who's to say that our people are not going to get ideas and do the same? I can only assume it was even scarier for the monarchs because yes the king and queen ends up losing their head so i do think you're right you have a lot more poor people than you do rich people in most countries too yeah you have a lot more working class people than you have of the people that they're working for so yeah i can see where people would be a little afraid if decided to say hey we don't like what you're doing either well but you know the interesting thing too is that it's these politicians who start off with these very progressive ideas of freedom and rights but what you start to see and this is where i'm like oh this is why it became what it became and what it became was a revolutionary dictatorship Mm -hmm. where all of a sudden they were taking away people's rights because they had to for the revolution to succeed so they're going against their own ideals and principles which of course is leading we're fighting for your freedom but we're not going to give you any exactly exactly and it's these people who may not be the richest but they're also not the poorest Mm -hmm. they're educated people so as much as they're saying they're fighting for the poor They're fighting for the poor without listening to the poor, without really doing what's right for the poor. And how often has that happened in history, PJ? Because you're a history major, and that happens in almost every single war there is. They say they're fighting for the people. They're fighting to give the poor people a voice. But it's the poor people that get hurt the most. Yes, and in this case, it definitely was. It definitely, you know, the more this revolution was occurring you can tell that the people in power really only want to stay in power and will do whatever to stay in power and that is why there's that reign of terror with the guillotine and so many people losing their lives so while this book like i said it is a very if you were to read this book i would suggest get it in audio because 
I think it's easier to go through. There's a lot of French words too. Um, I think it is easier, but also know that this is a heavy book because the subject is heavy. Right. And so, you know, if you're going into thinking that you can, I mean, kudos to you if you can, but if you go into thinking that you can read this book and then remember all the people involved. No. Awesome for you. But even me as a history major, I could not. If anything, what this book did do was it gave me the bigger picture. So where I couldn't tell you the little tiny little parts and tell you exactly when this happened and when that happened, it gave me the bigger picture and did really answer my question as to why this revolution was so vastly different than the U.S. revolution. Also, it just made me really dislike Rose Pierre (laughs) because the reign of terror and everything was basically Rose Pierre driven. Um, He was basically your revolutionary dictator. And it did not end well for him because he was very big on sending people to the guillotine. And call it karma, call it what you will, but Rose Pierre ended up in the guillotine. There you have it. So yes, this was a very interesting book, but it was a very hard, heavy um, subject matter. Also, it made me very grateful to be an American. It says we should be very proud. We were successful because it doesn't really happen too much. No, it doesn't. So that so that was also very nice. You know, it was that sense of like, oh, wow, like, awesome. We were actually a success when other people tried, but we're not. What else did you read, Bonnie? Because I know you read more. I had one other book that I read. It's a new author, again, for me. Okay. Um, The author is Deanna Rayburn. And I picked it up and go, oh, this sounds like it might be interesting, but they mark their books on their spines when there's a series. And this was number six. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't start with number six. I have to. So I went and I found the first one. And believe it or not, the book is titled A Curious Beginning. Oh, I, I like the title already. And the um, the heroine of the book is Veronica Speedwell. Okay. And she is a lepidopterist. Now, you may think, oh, so what? Big deal. The book takes place just prior to and and it culminates with the 50th anniversary of queen victoria okay so first of all you're gonna have to tell me what is a lepidopterist a person (laughs) who studies butterflies Ah, butterflies okay and stuff i learned something new so you have to realize this is 1887 and she is a woman on her own going around the world, literally collecting butterflies, or she will go find new species of butterflies. So you had me with history and strong woman character. It's very interesting. She was orphaned as a young child and supposedly raised by these two women that she calls aunts, who are absolutely no relation to her whatsoever. During the course of the book, you find out that these women were picked to hide her from someone else. Oh, this is intriguing. And so now the the ants obviously aged and 
even while they were living, she was going and doing her thing. She was like going out. And now, did she know this or is this one of those things where she knew from the get-go that her aunts weren't related to her she, or it was it one of the she things knew she from up? the get-go well once she was old enough to find out she okay. knew they were not really her aunt she knew she was an orphan they told her she was an orphan okay they told her absolutely nothing about her parents but they, they she was also parents? she was also illegitimate um. but they knew who her parents were um, she knew her mother. She remembered her mother ever so slightly. Yeah. Because I think she was like maybe five years old when her mother was was killed in an accident or something. She never knew who her father was. Okay, so now I have all these questions because I'm like, was it an accident? Was it not? I need to read this, huh? Yes, you do. <laughs> because I cannot tell you much more than that without giving away the story. Other than to say that at the funeral of the one aunt that was left, one died and the other one, she was kind of, she came back from a trip and was nursing. Mm -hmm. um, she came back actually when she heard that the woman was on her deathbed. And she was going to places like South Africa and the Caribbean doing her butterfly things by herself. Well, and you know, so, at that time, the Victorian era, it's not very ladylike, you know? No. You have to be a meek lady that's supposed and, to be... She actually had this point where she was quote unquote kidnapped by a pirate in the Caribbean and she gets out of it, but he teaches her self-defense before she leaves the Caribbean. So she never goes anywhere without a hat pin because a hat pin is one of the best defenses for a woman ever. But that's very, also speaks a lot to her character that a pirate who are notoriously known for not really being like, they respect each other, but not really respectful towards anybody else. Especially women. Yeah. Decides, I mean, I like this character. I like her a lot. So her aunt dies. And after the funeral, she's going back to the, it's a rented cottage. She's cleaning it out. She's getting ready to leave. She's now on her own. She has money. To, she's always had, for some reason, she's always had money to do with whatever she wanted to do. And her lepidoptery business, literally people would pay her fortunes to go find butterflies for them. Like you have these rich people, just like people who collect antiques and stuff. Yeah. They will pay somebody millions of dollars to go find something. So back in that, in her field, she was a very respected person. That kind of sounds like a cool job to tell you that the truth. So she's packing up the cottage and she's getting ready to leave. And she comes back to the cottage only to find that it's being ransacked. Uh -oh. That somebody is looking for something. And the aunt isn't even cold in the grave yet. And this guy tries to abduct her. Oh. Only she doesn't really understand that it's an abduction at first. This doesn't come out until later in the story that he, at that point, was trying to abduct her. Oh. But there's this other guy that she kind of met at the cemetery, this old guy that shows up. She just figures he was an old friend of the aunt's. He comes up just in time to save her from the abduction. How does she not know, though, that she's being abducted? Like, how is... Well, can... because... <laughs> I feel like I'm going to ask all these questions and you're going to I have don't to tell know. me no. It's just, <laughs> it's just, she chases after him. So he tries to grab her and drag her off, I guess. No witnesses. 
you know, okay, is that okay. kind of what she was thinking. She didn't actually think he was actually trying to kidnap her. So she just but thinks you, he, he ransacked and he was trying to like steal something. Right. And then she comes in. And okay. so he's just going to drag her off so that there's no witnesses. Right. Oh, I see. That. But later on, we find out that it was actually her that he was supposed to be taking. But there's this old German baron to save her. She met him at the funeral briefly. And he says, oh, yes, I knew your aunt. She goes, well, thank you for coming. And then she goes home. Well, he follows her to her house and saves her from the abduction and then talks her into, you really have to come to London. I can tell you something about your family. So wow. against her better to judgment at first, but she doesn't feel this guy is a threat. Yeah. She gets in a carriage with him and travels to London. Well, she does have that hairpin. Right. She does keep her <laughs> hairpin in. But yes, he dumps her off. He he doesn't want anybody to know that she's in London, though. It's all very secretive. And so he takes her to an old warehouse down by the docks where they walk in. And here's this taxidermist guy, this naturalist guy that does taxidermy that is just this rude, obnoxious individual. He says... Stoker, I need you to watch her for a little while while I take care of a few things and I'll come back and get her. And before he can come back and get her, somebody murders him. Murders the Baron. Yeah. So now Stoker is stuck with her. And they have to find out who killed the Baron, what everybody was after. And when they find out, it is just, this is why everybody was trying to, because it comes out different places in the story she tries people try to abduct her several different times yeah and she gets saved at the last minute by stoker or whatever else is going on you know so this feels like kind of like the da vinci code it reminds me kind of that da vinci code in the sense that there's so many secrets and there's just so many unknowns and it does involve the royal family so you've got Queen Victoria's 50th anniversary getting ready to be splashed all over everything. And you've got her in the background with Stoker you see, trying now, to find out who she is. You know, I have to read this book yes, when I'm do. already surmising. Oh, maybe she's related to the queen. Maybe she's this and that. Maybe like now I have all these ideas running in my head just from what you told me, Bonnie. Then now I'm like... I have to read this book on. Yes, you do. And that's where I'm going to leave it. Her first trip away from home to do her business. She was like 18 years old. Mm -hmm. She goes traveling. She has an affair. She's like, this isn't all it's cracked up to be. <laughs> so being a, an adventurous woman, she goes and she gets books. Doesn't that tend to happen in life? You have this idea of, I'm never going to do this. And then, like, the opportunity is there, and you're like, uh, let's rethink that. Or, yes. I'm never going to date this type of guy. And then you're like, ah, uh, let's but rethink that. But so far, that. it hasn't happened. I mean, I can see it happening in the I was going to say, I mean, let's face you. it, it's, it's the type of book it is. But so far, so good. She's stuck to her guns, and they're just friends. So or what business is, partners. What is the title of this book? It's called A Curious Beginning 
by Deanna Rayburn. Yes. That's, I mean, that um, title is very intriguing and I like the title. It's a curious beginning for everything. Yeah. Their relationship, her life, everything. So yeah, it's just interesting. And next month we read The Woman at the Ritz. If I'm not mistaken, yes. That's our group read. Yes. As always, this was a good chat. Let us know what you guys are reading. Um, hope you enjoy our new podcast. Hope to hear from you guys soon. Until we meet again, I'm PJ. And I'm Bonnie. Bye, guys.